Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Forgotten Football Clubs. I'm your host, Rory Bryce, and I'm joined as usual by my co-host, Phil. How are you doing, Phil? What's up, Rory? Good to be back. Good, glad to hear it, glad to hear it. And we're also joined by our guest this week, Paul. Paul, how's it going? Hi chaps, it's uh, lovely to be here. Good, good, it's good to have you on as well. So, if that, um, obviously if you've read the book, um, Paul's inclusion in this podcast means that we are going to be covering former Spanish club CF Rus. Uh, just to clarify, Paul, am I saying that correctly? Is it CF Rus, CF Royce? Uh, I think that the locals used to tend to call it Reus. Reus. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but Brits do tend to call it uh, Rus or Reus. Um, if you've ever flown through there to, on, the, on the way to uh, some of the uh, the holiday parks around there anyway. Cool. Don't, worry, no don't worry, Paul. We're we're known for butchering uh, many an end on this podcast. <laughs> uh, <yeah>. I did <laughs> hear the uh, I do remember chuckling to myself here into his uh, with the Iceland teams uh, the other week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Though uh, Joker IT is pretty uh, straightforward. It was the other one beginning with A, which I'm not even gonna attempt, but uh, I thought you lads did well with it. Yeah, I, th- I think that's that's mainly our, our plan is just to get a pronunciation and then run with it for, for the majority <laughs> of it, so we're not always fumbling. But uh, for this pod, we'll stick with C. We'll stick with CF Reyes. Um I quite like that. It's, it's better than the ways that I said it. So, um, yeah. So for these podcasts, what we've kind of decided, um, you know, since we're we're bringing on interviewers um, that are that are experts on the clubs, we're just going to keep them to one club this time. Um, and probably moving forward as well, simply because we feel that it's better to give them the attention that they deserve and, and so that we can talk about them a bit more in depth. Since that we've got an expert on with us, um, we'll be able to ask them a, a couple more questions and, and really get into the nitty gritty of the things that happened. And uh, as I said, if you've read the book, you'll know that Paul is the CFRAS expert, so he's kindly agreed to join us for today's episode. So guys, what kind of things are we going to be talking about this week? I mean, CF Press, uh, first of all, I'll, I'll just um, tell you why they were picked. Um, such an interesting club. Uh, if anybody has seen their kits and stuff like that, quite colourful as well. Uh, any kit enthusiastic, uh, enthusiasts out there will probably know. Um, the other thing that stood out for me was, and many people, a few people have pointed this out, that there's only one Spanish club uh, in the book, uh, whereas, you know, you get two from Finland, two from Germany. And the reason why is because there wasn't like there, there obviously is quite a few forgotten clubs from Spain, and um, but not as many as other European countries. So hopefully, Paul might hmm. give us a little bit of an insight uh, into why that is. The same with Portugal. There's not even a Portuguese club in the book, uh, and the reason why is there just isn't that many. So maybe maybe that area or that region of the world uh, can uh, solve the crisis <laughs> of clubs uh, going <laughs> bust. Um, I don't know, but we we'll, we'll go through that. We'll go through the history of uh, Reyes. Um, and basically why, why they dissolved. Uh, the other reason why I picked them was the reason why they dissolved uh, is it's slightly different than other clubs, uh, whereas other clubs were gone because of owners and stuff like that. Now, Reyes obviously had difficult uh, times with owners and all. Uh, there was also the kind of... Um, the, the, the Spanish FA were kind of involved. Uh, again, Paul will probably let us know a little bit more about this, but it was something that kind of... Um, attracted my attention uh, when I saw it, especially in uh, one of Paul's uh, articles about CF Reyes um, that he will uh, obviously explain. But um, yeah, as I said, it's going to be an interesting uh, episode uh, with a very interesting club. 
Yeah, I suppose one of the interesting things about Reus is that there's, you know, with the other clubs that we've covered so far, they're all interesting in their own right and they all have their own stories in their own right, don't get me wrong, but with CF Reus, there's a bit of a wider tale to be told here and um, there's a couple of things that actually bring it, well, I don't know if nicely is the right word, but, but you know, kind of brings it into into developments that have happened over the last year or so, um, which obviously brings them under the spotlight a bit as well. So um, I found that really interesting. I think you touched on that kind of briefly in the book as well, Phil. Um, mm. But to kick us off, why don't why don't you guys talk a little bit about uh, the founding of CF Reus and their, um, their their history? So starting with you, Paul, why don't you kick us off? <laughs> yeah, right from the very beginning. Uh, here we go. I'll uh, I'll try and keep it succinct, but also uh, as interesting as I can. I mean, uh, it's a, a club in a, a relatively small town. I think the population is only about hundred thousand of Reus. Um, it was founded in nineteen oh nine. I think it was a 23rd of November, to be precise. Uh, Phil, you, I'm sure you've put that in the book. If, <laughs> if I've yeah, got the date yeah. wrong, I apologise. No, you're bang on, bang on. Uh, well, that's not so bad for my, off the top of my head then, that is it. <laughs> but uh, in terms of how they, how they were founded, they, they adopted the name, um, the Clockwork Hazelnuts. Um, as like a, Ooh. yeah, as part of the, um, the history and the, the industry around the area. Um, as a club, they bit of a yo-yo team they never made it above the uh, the second tier and it was only really in in their uh, the, the latter years that they, they actually made it to the, the second division um i mean with with many football clubs across certainly mainland europe um in particular uh spain you do see a similar thing in germany as well but um reyes were founded as part of a uh, sporting institution as like a, a community mm. hub that was um there's there's quite a few examples that you can still point to in Spain with regards to this. So the easiest way to explain it is that um, some of these clubs, like I say, it's a, it's more of a community hub that has a multi-sport sort of mm. affiliation. Um, if you mm. think currently FC Barcelona, obviously everyone knows is you know one of the, the, the biggest clubs in the world, but they also have an affiliated uh, basketball team. Uh, yeah. futsal team I think it's a polo team as well or a water polo team so they're all kind of interlinked and, and Reyes were um, were, were part of that uh, sort of or not part of that but were um, a sporting entity of that type to begin with and then they, they evolved to being predominantly a, a football club um, they they have or they had a, um, a good uh, youth development system there they had um good women's team that was uh, relatively strong um and they they grew to be a, a, a club that was that was part of the community they may not have been obviously the most successful but they were um uh, a cornerstone of, of, the, of the local area um mm. i don't know phil if you've got anything you want to add in terms of the early history um no, really. I think you 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 covered it there. Really, they they weren't um, the most successful team. Like, I mean, it, it, they're from the Catalan region as well, uh, so they were probably overshadowed by uh, other clubs in that area. Uh, Barcelona, obviously, being the obvious <laughs> one, Espanyol. So they were they were very much um, you know driven by that that, that community spirit. That, that kind of you know uh, let's you know go watch see uh, uh, if like um, uh, and the sports organization and stuff like that. Different branches. Um. Yeah, I mean, as as I said, they weren't they weren't incredibly successful uh, in their past or even in their their most present. Um. 
He didn't make, he didn't really, like, even in their very, very early years, he didn't make much of an impression. It wasn't until the 1940s, really, when they entered the fourth tier of Spanish football, was when they kind of were, were noticed by, you know, maybe the rest of Spain. Uh, other than that, before that, it was more, they were more kind of a, you know, a regional side, Cat- Catalonia. Uh, they probably were, were known around that area, but, you know, other places like Madrid and all probably would have never have heard of uh, see of uh, Reyes until the 40s. Um, I mean, Again, it, 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 the reason why I picked this wasn't because of their successes or anything like that. It really is down to down to why they kind of failed, which is which is kind of it's a little bit maybe some people might say it's a little bit grim, but it, it, it is the reason why um, I, I was kind of attracted uh, to, to picking them. So um, I mean, Paul, as I said, not 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 hugely successful, so we can't really go into. European runs and stuff like that, like we would with other with other football clubs that have uh, featured on on this show, and other football clubs that feature in the book, uh, like for example, you know, Graz AK from Austria, uh, who like went on a bit of a European run, or even Joker IT that featured in the the, the past podcast, who who had an Intertoto Cup run. Um, but uh, see you fresh. Uh, yeah, Paul, do you want do you want do you want to just uh, get to it? Uh, the the kind of demise, if you're on. Yeah, the juicy bit. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so there is quite a lot to unpack in terms of the demise. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, it's going to be... I probably should try and set the scene a bit. Um, yeah. And, you know, so, so Reyes is a town, as I mentioned, it's, it's relatively small. It's, it's population 100,000. It's got a large airport um, that serves... There's, there's a good tourist uh, strip. It, it serves Salu, if anybody... I know a lot of Brits go on holiday to Sulu and, mm. um, you know, quite a lot of tourists do fly in there. There used to be the uh, Universal Studios Mediterranean. Um, that used to be there. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, so not quite Disneyland Paris, but Universal <laughs> Studios, you know, um, yeah, yeah. not far away. So mm-hmm. it used to get a lot of um, tourists coming through the city as well. And obviously, as we mentioned before, it's it's located uh, in Catalonia and, and relatively close to to Barcelona, so it's it's a tourist town in in the sense that there's a lot of um, passers by, but it but it is a, a community region, and one of the the things about its its location and the and the tourist aspect is it's an important factor. It might not sound it in terms of a football club, but it is an important factor in terms of the way that um, the successive owners prior to the clubs. Uh, collapse um, it, their motives in terms of purchasing it. So uh, the easiest, yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the easiest way to sort of strip everything back and keep the story, um, you know, simple but also make sense in terms of following a linear pattern. Um, there's a couple of names that that might be familiar to people um, that I'm going to mention in a minute, um, but I, I think if we if we go back to 2013. Uh, in fact, no, we can go back a bit earlier. We can go to 2003. Uh, so 2003, um, Joan Laporta, who is the current FC Barcelona president, mm. was also elected president of Barcelona, and he ran from 2003 to 2010. I think on about 2007, 2008, um, he gave the job of general manager to one of his friends, Joan Laporta. Uh, and these two guys got on well, uh, obviously, and had success at Barcelona. And when um, Laporta's presidency ended in 2010, so if you think where FC Barcelona were in 2010, I mean, that's 
Guardiola's era. Um, mm. Just about to face, well, they beat Manchester United Champions League final. Messi, uh, David Villa, that front three, Messi, Villa and Pedro um, with Xavi and Iniesta and Busquets in the midfield. You had a, a back four of, um, it was still Poyol for a time and PK and um, Eric Abidal. Uh, who's the right back? Danny Alves. Danny Alves, yeah. 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 You're, you're, you're really talking, they yeah. were the best team in the world. And, and not even, not even, not just at that time, just like they, how they played football and, and the things that they don't really kind of define that era. Um, yeah, it's it's one of the, it's one of the teams and when you think of football at its best, it's, it, that, that model and that style of play is, is what people still, you know, if you see any highlights, it's hard not to, to be impressed in it really. Yeah, um, exactly. So, so Laporta's presidency ends at that point where, you know, Barca are pretty much on top of the world. I mean, literally, they were the world champions, weren't they? So him and uh, Oliver decide that um, they're going to carry on working together in the football industry. And they had a few uh, investments. And one of the, the things that they decided to do um, a couple of years later was to uh, take out... Um, well, well, they, they went into an agreement to purchase Seif Reyes. Um, and I believe, bearing in mind it's been a couple of years since I saw any of the documentation um, when, I was, when I was reporting on, on, the, on the club. But um, I think it was a 51% split for Joanne Oliver and the other 49% was, was split between Laporta and, and a, a couple of others of, of their friend circle, shall we say. Um, so Joanne Oliver was the main figurehead. He was the CEO, um, and Laporta basically tasked him as the guy who would oversee the day-to-day running of the club. Um, and that they had aspirations of, of taking the club to at least challenging for the top end of the the second tier. And, and like, as we said in in the beginning, you know, this was a club that, that had never really been uh, higher than you know the the lower half of the second division. But they they thought well we could at least we've got enough there infrastructure wise. It's in a great location. We might get people passing by who are on the holiday that'll, that'll, you know, leave the resort and come into the city for coming to the town for a game of football, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they started putting a bit of money in. Um, and as I mentioned, they did have other investments in the football world, um, including links to uh, a club in China. Um, All right. be- Beijing, it's it, Beijing. It, the, the name is it, it's a, a a series of letters, but it basically stands for like um, computer institute or university institute of computing or something like that. It's it's, okay. it, it, it's Beijing based, um, and and they had a minority stake in there. Um, so th- these were people who you know they had money and they had influence and connections uh, across the football world. Um, They've got ambitions to build the club up. Things, you know, don't materialise the way that they want over the next five years. Talking, getting to the summer of 2018, um, mm. the, the the club's not necessarily kicking on as much as they, they, they might have liked. Um, some of the, the money isn't... Um, well, the, the television money at that time, there was a different TV deal um, for, for clubs in Spain and different rules around TV deals. So the second division 
basically got a very small slice of pie that was split between you know every club so it was it was like i mean it was a, it was a smaller television deal than league 1 in england potentially smaller than i'm not sure if it's scottish premier but it was it's slightly bigger than the scottish second tier so i mean you know it's it's not given that in the league above you've got barcelona and real madrid who at the time were essentially printing their own money for tv mm-hmm. um, yeah. you know it was it was messi ronaldo so they were they were making um multi-million bordering billions um through tv yeah and i'm not i'm not sure at that point if the scottish championship would have had any tv deal and if it would if they did um it would have been confined basically to, to kind of just regional channels i suppose so yeah um, it was if, if we're talking late 2000s it may have just been probably around maybe around the same size as the scottish premiership potentially because you know obviously we're talking about the the kind of fall of of Satanta around that, yeah, thing. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, um, which caused a lot of problems in Scotland. So, absolutely, it was a precarious time, wasn't it? And it's uh, bearing in mind. So, another thing that perhaps should put it into a bit of context: the second tier in Spain for a long while um, was available for free on YouTube. Um, That's right. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, mm. and the the viewing figures were not great. Um, even though it was a free product um, that was accessible to you know a world audience, that the viewing figures were, were shocking, really. Um, it's funny though, Paul, because in my research and I, I kind of mentioned it a little bit. Um, it does seem like the Spanish FA just concentrated on on the, the we'll say Premier or Premier League, and the rest of kind of football was kind of like the rest of the leagues, pardon me, or the other tiers are kind of like left to defend themselves like for example back in the the i think it's 1950s um i have written there um like there was like a hundred clubs battling it out for like you know three promotion spots like they had to go like jump through hoops just to get up to the top tier um Mm -hmm. the only other place i know that that did that really uh, around the world was south america i think i mentioned it um like place like brazil and stuff like that um so what was it? Was it designed like that? Do you know, or is it just that just the way it was? Um, so it, it's kind of it, historically it was it was very regionalized anyway uh, as mm. a sport uh, across Spain, mm. and it, it is pretty much below below the third tier now. Uh, it is um, again, it's regionalized in the same way. It's not really changed much since then, to be fair. Mm. And part of that reason is because of travel costs and. And also just the sheer number of clubs um, at that level, you, you are talking semi-professional to, in some cases, essentially amateur sides um, below the um, below the third tier. You'll see it in the uh, in the Copa del Rey. There'll be, I think, the other year there was a, a club that was uh, based in Madrid that it was essentially it was a bunch of taxi drivers near enough. Um, you know, and there is a team there that's um, that's British based. Um, that it's got an English name, and it's all expats. Um, but I, I, top of my head, I can't remember the name. But they did get to one of the, you know, the qualifying rounds. At one yeah, point. yeah. It, it's it's quite like I mean, in one way, it's probably the reason why Spanish football doesn't have so many forgotten clubs because them clubs aren't you know uh, um, run like you know 
money wise, they don't need a lot of money because they're, as you said, they're semi professional or they're, they're, they're an amateur. Mm-hmm. So therefore, their, yeah. their players are yeah, have an income from somewhere else and, and whatever. So in that in that regard, but it's just surprising that a nation like Spain um, don't have more, you know, professional tiers of professional clubs. Like for example, I know. Look, we could talk about England and the way they have like four tiers of proper professional clubs, and even then, you go into the national league and there's professional football all the way through. Like you could probably pick out maybe two hundred professional clubs in, in England. Um, Maybe a little less. But in Spain, it just seems like, you know, you have the Primera, then you have the, the Segunda there, where you'd have, like, maybe a few clubs that would be really, like, professional, like, you know, but, but only because they're kind of yo-yo clubs. Like, if I took yeah. out, uh, example, Ibar, uh, Levante, Elche, they, them type of clubs that kind of, like, bounce up and down, they, they're, they're always going to be professional. But then, if you go lower than that, it's just, you know, it is, as you said, semi-professional and... and and you know amateur amateur status, which very surprising uh, in regards, because Spain is one of the leading footballing nations, really. Yeah, well, that, that's <clears> something <throat> that I was going to ask. Now, I'm not entirely sure if it's um, if this is the case of Spain or if I'm thinking of Portugal. But am I right in saying that once it gets past maybe tier, maybe tier three or tier four, there's like three leagues within one tier and they all have like 40 or so teams in them am I, am I right in saying that or am I, am, am I yeah so that is the case yeah so you'll have yeah. um, you'll you'll have like um, it, it's been rebranded recently but it, it's essentially a similar model so you'll be fourth tier would have um, Premier, Premier RFEF and then you'd have groups within that um, and it is relatively regionalised I think it was Last season or season before, there was one of the clubs that was sort of out on its own, basically in the north, but there was too many teams from the north, so they got lumped into the south. Um, <laughs> and it, it obviously meant that they, there was significantly higher travel costs for them and they, they didn't get any compensation for um, for the travel. So they, it was quite a big... They, they did put a campaign on and, and locals contributed money. Um, I think we saw a similar thing in England at the end of the uh, COVID season with Dover Athletic, and they were trying yeah, to get into the National League, but they were in the National League South, and it was so. Um, but yeah, with, with Spain, it is it is heavily regionalised, and a lot of that has to do with the the lack of money and, and just the the history of it. But you know, as you mentioned, it's it's a country that is you know for certainly in the last fifteen years or twenty years, it, it's been one of the most dominant. Um, football in nations on the pitch, but it's also a country that is football mad. So yeah, absolutely. Know, in that sense, not having a stronger um, pyramid, it, it, I guess it makes it an outlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and that's the thing because obviously, you know, we kind of said at the start that that CFRAs didn't have a lot of success, and and I suppose by success, what we really we really meant by that was uh, you know trophies or European runs or. Um, you know, even just the odd result for good times are rolling, so to speak. Um, yeah. But in actuality, considering what you've just mentioned in terms of the football and pyramid in Spain, obviously they they had quite a bit of financial investment. But to go from to go from being in the kind of lower reaches of that to becoming a yo-yo club um, between the uh, the Segunda Division and did they did they ever they they did reach La Liga, didn't they? Um, it, well, it was, it was La Liga um, one, two, three. It was called. It was the sponsorship at the time, but it was still technically yeah. the, the second, uh, okay. second tier. But um, 
Yeah, predominantly they were in like the, the third and fourth division for the, the vast majority of their lifespan, really. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of yo-yo, and uh, I think I even mentioned it that I lost count of the amount of times that they, they kind of got promoted and they get relegated and promoted. And it yeah. felt like I just kept repeating myself. Um, yeah. it, it was, <laughs> they were that type of club. Um, like I'd imagine their fans enjoyed it very much. Um, you know, uh, when, when they got relegated, they were you know half expected to get promoted again straight away. Um, and, yeah, they, they were that type of club. But they never, no, they never reached top tier. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, and and to be honest, I, I, I always kind of wondered what would have happened if they did reach it up there. Um, the, um, the, the kind of heights that they reached, and what I was going to mention was, despite all that, and despite being you know kind of further down the pecking order, so to speak, they did manage to reach the last thirty-two in the Copa del Rey, and and did end up getting put out, unfortunately by Atletico Madrid. You know, mm-hmm. if you're getting to the latter stages of a cup and you're a smaller team, then Generally speaking, your luck's going to run out eventually, which is unfortunate, and it's, it's probably luck of the draw wasn't on their side at, at, at that point in time. Um, but, you know, for, for what they were and, and for what investment they got, I don't think they've done too bad. I'd, I'd, I'd say that they probably gave their fans some good times in the end, as you just said there, Phil, yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. And you, and you mentioned that Let's Go Madrid um, uh, toy, which... Uh... Paul, Paul will probably tell us about, and uh, probably know more about. But uh, yeah, they, they they ran them close. I mean, they they, they didn't disrespect themselves uh, against them. Uh, Thomas Partey, who's with Arsenal at the moment, he actually scored against them. So it, you know, they were they were up against like a top quality side at that at that stage. But um, yeah, Paul. I mean. They, they, we we said it they, they were a kind of yo-yo club in, in in the bottom leagues. They went on that cup run, but mm-hmm. um, you you were talking about like the investments and stuff like that. Obviously, yeah. what, what, you know we 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 talked about our clubs, uh, you know owners kind of getting the the run of themselves or kind of just pulling the plug. I think one club that we talked about, uh, the one from um, uh, where was it? Where was it again? Rory the Scottish, uh, not the Scottish, the heart, the format hearts. Uh, um, oh, uh, Roman Abramovich. No, not Roman Abramovich. What's his name? He oh, used to own Hearts. Uh, yeah, the other, uh, Romanov. Romanov. Romanov, yeah. Yeah, where yeah. he just kind of pulls the plug and legged it. Um, <laughs> so what, what happened in, in this regard with Laporta, uh, Laporta and um, and his mate, shall we say? Yeah, so uh, that's it. Uh, what what happened? Um, hmm. Well, uh, the, 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 the investment wasn't as uh, prosperous as, as they would have liked. So... Going into the um, 2018-19 season, um, that summer, the the, um, the finances weren't looking great. It wasn't completely risky at that stage, but as we got to November, um, it started appearing on people's radars that um, that the that the club needed uh, a change of owners in order to to not so much survive at that point, um, but in, in terms of being able to move forward. Players had not been paid for sporadic months. And then um, by the... So there's a, a convention called Soccer X, um, and the one in 2018, I think that took place mid-November um, in Miami. Um, and that's where the, the next ownership um, actually became aware of the club. Um, so I'll get onto that in a moment. But by the end of 2018 calendar year, uh, the, the club needed needed investment, and 
Oliver and Laporta had essentially decided that um, they'd had enough. Um, so the club was was put up for for sale um, almost discreetly. Um, although, you know, people who were in attendance at Soccer X in Miami um, had been sort of given uh, the, the heads up that this Spanish second tier team um, was available for purchase. I should say as well, actually, um, that there were other clubs at Soccer X that uh, that were up for sale. Mm. Um, and the the owners who who came in were uh, Clifton and Alfo, uh, Russell Pratt, that's Russell Platt, a big pardon, and uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, that's an unfortunate uh, mispronunciation. <laughs> yeah, Un- unfortunate or a sign of things to come. We will. Find well, out. No, no. <laughs> and uh, and, and uh, a gentleman called Kurt and Alfo, who is Clifton's brother. Okay, so um, yeah, if there's any people familiar with the MLS in America, uh, Major League Soccer, you'll you'll know the name uh, Bruce Arena. Um, he was the LA Galaxy manager when David Beckham was there. He was the coach of the US men's national team for a period. He was also the um, the coach of the New England Revolution about two years ago when they broke all the records um, and won trophy after trophy. Um, so he, he's a big name and, and his assistant manager was... Um, was Kurt and Alfo. So Kurt and Alfo, Clifton and Alfo, the two brothers, and uh, Russell Platt um, essentially formed a, a consortium and, and they were on the lookout to buy uh, a club. And they looked at a couple, um, including uh, one in Scotland um, that, that I won't name on air because I don't know if they want me to. Um, Ooh, I'm going to message you privately after that and figure yeah. that out. That's really yeah. interesting. Um, it's yeah, so it's it's a relatively big one as well. Um, so yeah, they they looked uh, they looked in in Scotland and a couple of other projects, um, and they they wanted something that could be a, a long term investment that, you know, that. So Kurt was still working as a an assistant. Uh, Russell and Clifton are um, in the the real estate business, so they okay. they they wanted something that as they you know as the main careers started to wind down that, that they could they could go to um and you know essentially uh enjoy as a a labor of love i guess really yeah. um so they were on the lookout for a purchase and, and at soccer x um they were offered the the opportunity to to make inquiries with cf reyes um and they, they they did um they did take interest um they we're also, as I mentioned, looking at other clubs and, and the one that they looked at in Scotland was the one that they particularly liked the idea of to begin with, given its um, its location. Um, it's not Glasgow, by the way. Um, oh, interesting. Okay. Um, but uh, the, the financial situation there at that club um, put them off, essentially. Uh, it, had, it had debts larger than they would have been prepared to take on and it would have meant that the long-term project would have needed a lot more short-term mm. attention than they were ready to to um, to give at the time. So Reyes, out of, um, out of curious, what, so, sorry, what um, what year was this was this conference in? Uh, this was in 2018. 2018. So you're okay. you're trying to join the dots there already. <laughs> I think uh, I, th- I think I think I've joined them, but we're not here to talk about that. Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, so. Um, they, after looking at the, the Scottish club, they, they went back to to look at Reus, um, 
at the same time, there was another person of, of note that was interested in, in, uh, in Bayern Reyes, uh, a guy called uh, Gerard Piquet, um, who, you know, happened to be the Barcelona captain at the time. I've never heard of him mm. before. Who's he? <laughs> <laughs> you know, he, um, so he, he's been on the lookout. Obviously, now he's since bought FC Andorra and they're, well, they, they're linked to this story as well, actually. And it's, it's, a, it's a particularly sore point for, for fans of, of Reyes. Um, so I'll, I will, I'll come back to them shortly. Um, so PK had looked at the at Bayern Reyes um, and I, I honestly don't know. I never got a clear answer when I was interviewing um, Clifton and Olfo, and I don't think he he knew for certain either uh, himself as to whether PK didn't have enough money to meet the valuation or if he just was put off the idea of, of the project. Um, but ultimately, PK decided he didn't want to proceed with purchasing Reus and uh, uh, the the American uh, investors, uh, they, they wanted to press ahead. So in December... Um, Things started to progress off the field in terms of um, change of ownership. Uh, the the Americans started looking at the books and, and realizing that there was financial trouble that that they they would have to deal with. Um, but they believed that they had time to to do it. And that from what they the information they were given in terms of the books, they felt that it was something that they could easily overcome. Um, in terms of of seeing out the season and mm. uh, and then you know starting afresh um, you know, over the summer, but on the field, Reyes were um, were not necessarily having the best of times, um, and the playing staff were starting to worry um, because they, they they'd not been paid, and in in some cases they they opted to, to defer wages so that the, the backroom staff and, and the non-playing staff at the club, you know, that the kit men and, and the, the tea room ladies, etc., could get their wages. Um, yeah, I think it's it's one of the things that when when a football club's in, in a bit of a, a bit of financial bother, it's, yeah. it's really the sign that, that they're on this kind of unstoppable downward spiral when they can't pay wages at all. And then obviously new owners come in and, and they maybe think, okay, this is going to be fine. But once a club actually gets to that stage, in fact, even before that stage, it's very, very, very difficult to get back out of it and, and kind yeah. of maintain the same position you were in. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, no, you're 100% right. And, and ultimately, it, it's it's always kind of sad anyway, because it's, it, you know, the people who you only ever think of a, a club in terms of the players and maybe one yeah. or two of the directors. But there's that many people that work for these uh, you know, institutions that that that, that is their full time job. You know, as somebody who's yeah, absolutely there to to make sure the kit's washed, and somebody who's there to clean the the toilets, or you know, make sure the stadium's ready. There's there's that many people connected that it's always tragic when you see people going out without wages because then then those people are not on footballers' wages. So you know, it's yeah, yeah. I, Anyway, without digressing too much, there's enough. There's definitely enough uh, misery um, to come. Anyway, in this story, so <laughs> so uh, let's buckle up. <laughs> I'm ready. Yeah. So, uh, as I mentioned, by December, the the Americans had, had decided to to go ahead with the deal, um, but it was apparent that um, that Reyes had um, a debt of I think it was approximately five point two million in total. 
and, and as we spoke before, uh, uh, this is this is a, a small club that's not really getting the large um, TV money that comes in, you know, once twice a season or in, in lumps that you know you would in the top tier, etc. Yeah. Um, so the at, at, at the time La Liga um, issued several warnings saying you, know, you must pay your play pay the wages, etc. Um, they they were warned that if there's if there's no payment, then um, you know that there could be further sanctions on the club, um, and the, the the outgoing ownership, um, Joanne Oliver and and uh, Joanne Laporta, you know, they, they, as far as they're concerned, you know, they're, they're selling the club, so that they're not really interested in in doing anything to to help the situation. Um, so La Liga gave. A deadline. I think it was initially it was fifteen days, um, you know, to to get the deal done and to get some of these wages paid. Uh, and that takes us into to January. Uh, wages weren't paid. The club still had to try and fulfil its fixtures. There was a couple yeah. of instances where players took to the field and then just before kick off, you know, they I think there's a there's a, a famous photo of them. One of the B teams um, gathering at the centre circle, one of their games um, to protest. Um, yeah, things, it, things as well, Paul, weren't really going well on the field, which uh, no. didn't help. They only won, I think, five games uh, in the first part of that season. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, things were starting to unravel all over the place, uh, really, like, and, and it kind of just, yeah, it was setting the snowball. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a sign of a club that's really, really in its last legs, isn't it? Absolutely. I think the the first month, um, just thinking back to when I was doing these interviews, I think the first month where the, the club essentially defaulted on wages was September. Um, but then I think there was some small payments made in between that, that carried it over into the new year. It was on and off and it was like, right, okay, this month, first team will be paid, next month, reserve team. You know, it was it was a situation like that. And, and I'd... I'd can't think of a football club that is having off the field financial trouble and yet manages to play well on on the field at, at the same time <laughs> yeah. they usually yeah. the two things are linked usually aren't they um anyway so the the, the agreements get gets put in place for for the americans to to take over and and um they're given documentation by um javier tabas the the head honcho, essentially at uh, at La Liga, he's, you know, he's still there. He's, uh, I, I would say, he's a, a divisive character. Okay, shall, shall we say? Um, people who follow Spanish football tend to have a strong opinion on him, one way or the other. Um, and the, the the outgoing ownership had put together a set of accounts and, and presented that to the to the incoming one, and and it looked like it was a manageable situation. It, to an extent, um, and Clifton and Alpha was due to fly in on behalf of um, the consortium. Uh, I think it's the third week of January. He was supposed to fly in on the, the Friday for a meeting on the Monday. And whilst he is in the air um, on the Friday afternoon, uh, Tebas um, or somebody acting on Tebas's behalf at La Liga uh, issued a a statement saying, you know, that the club hasn't, we appreciate that, that, you know, the sales not gone through yet, but the club hasn't paid wages. And so, um, you know, we, 
we are looking to to suspend the club from the league. Um, so you know, as a new owner arriving from America to land in a foreign country and you know expect to have a, a clear meeting with La Liga to uh, to complete the, the purchase of a of a football club to actually just walk up there and to be told by the local press actually you know um, what do you make of this statement and he'd not actually read it himself it was the press that that told him about it so <clears throat> yeah it was yeah it was quite a frustrating and difficult thing for him mm-hmm. um and i do remember no I, I remember speaking to him uh this will have been april when when we first when i first did an interview with him um and he was he was understandably still furious about it then um so the things move forward. He gets a little bit more time from La Liga to to try and um, complete the deal. The deal does go ahead, and the ownership change. I think that took place. Um, it was it went into February when it was fully signed and sealed, but at that point the players and and, and such still hadn't been paid um, because of of the the fact that the money was not really in place from the new owners and the, the outgoing owners had essentially just uh, walked out the door with, you know, leaving the prepared. Disappeared. Yeah. Like, like our mate Ron, uh, Romanoff, uh, the, the lads have just kind of gone, yeah, good luck and, and went. And it's, it's, it's one of the most disheartening things to hear uh, yeah. when, like, uh, football owners just kind of... Because it's like they, 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 they just see the football club as, like, a... Like a toy, they don't think about as you said the backroom staff, you know, the tea ladies, the kit men, um, even the fans. Uh, and, yeah. and it, it, it's, it's a strange mentality coming from myself as a football fan, uh, to, to not care about about a football club in that regard. Like, I mean, I think there should be an obligation that if you are to leave a football club, you should leave it in the best way possible. Um, and it just feels like the lads just, just do that. Mm. Yeah, well, yeah. That, that's the thing. I mean, it's if you knock, if you if you boil it down to the bare bones of it, like you're you're playing around with people's lives and and their careers and livelihoods and stuff like that. Like it's yeah, it's 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 one of the worst possible things that that any business person or owner can do. But unfortunately, the way things are, you know that they could walk into something similar the week after, and, yeah, and it wouldn't it wouldn't <clears throat> have an effect. And it's unfortunately one of the byproducts of modern football. Absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, not to digress too much, Paul. Please no, continue. no. But it, it, on on that note, it's probably worth me um, sort of giving a bit of an insight as to what the new new owners had planned for the club. Um, so, as I mentioned, um, two of the owners, um, Clifton and Alpha and uh, Russell Platt, they they made their money from the real estate market. So, for them, a big part of the project was was also the redevelopment of the, the facilities and to, to make it, um, you know, I mean, the, the simplest way of looking at a football club is that, you know, if it's in the top flight of, you know, 20 teams in the league, 19 home games a season, it's going to make, you know, you expect to make money. So if you're a football club owner, you think there's only 19 weekends in a, you know, in a rolling 12 month period where the income's going to be there. So how do I make the facilities more profitable on a, on a regular basis? Um, mm. So, that might be to make it a, a multi-sport venue or to have, you know, community facilities there, etc. So, um, the, the the owners, the, the Americans had essentially hired a architect to 
redesign a, a new stadium that would have been um, 18,000 seater. It would have had um, proper community facilities and, and a, an attached uh, youth academy as well. Yeah. Um, and bearing that's in mind quite a, that, that's quite a jump in, in capacity because I think their capacity before that was only 4,700 or, or something like that, wasn't it? Yeah, it's about four and a half thousand. Yeah. And the, the existing stadium, um, I, my pronunciation is not great, but I think it, it was called the, the Baish Camp, B A I X Camp. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, they didn't, the club didn't own that outright. It was, um, it was. The, the legal owners of it were the the local council essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the plan was, well, you know, we'll we'll buy the, the the stadium and we'll redevelop it and we'll make it so that it's not just football that takes place there, but it, there's other things as well, and that all year round there should be some form of revenue for that site. Mm. Um, and they they have yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I think what's essential to that, and and well, from I remember speaking. Um, with Mr. Anolfo about this, you know, what one of the things that that made Reus as a town a really good option for that is that is the fact that it's located next to a large international airport. It's close to a, a very tourist, busy area of Spain. Um, Salou. It's got the the amusement park. It's got water parks nearby. It gets wonderful weather. Um, it's close enough to, to Barcelona and. It's got good transport links. So in terms of a hub, you could go on there on, on holiday. You could do your theme park. You could do your, you know, you could go on the water slides. You could go to the beach. You could go and sightsee in Barcelona, but you could have a hotel in Reus and, and, and taking a football match as well as, you know, the, there's some good um, cuisine around there. If you know, if you're into food and drink as well. So yeah, it, it had a lot going for it. Um, it, it makes sense, but this, but the sounds of things, it's maybe one of the things that, that wasn't there previously. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah, de- de- definitely ambitious. I mean, they're they're certainly saying all the all the right things that fans want to hear when a new owner steps in and, and the club's been in a in a bit of trouble beforehand. Yeah, yeah, and and, and the football in terms as well. Um, so Kurt and also, as I mentioned, he was working with Bruce Arena in uh, the MLS in America. Um, but they, through their network of of you know um, friends that they've, they've built up over the years uh, in the industry. Um, they were able to get a, a pre-agreements for um, player exchanges um, and youth development contracts with Toronto FC, um, Los Angeles AF, uh, Los Angeles FC, who were due to start. I think they did they were they due to start in the twenty nineteen MLS season. I think that was supposed to be their inaugural one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. that sounds about right. And they had uh, a pre-agreement with. Um, Miami as well at the time. David Beckham had, you know, decided he was going to set up um, a Miami club. I don't think he'd come up with the name yet, but they, they had uh, an agreement. Uh, I mean, uh, Anolfo and Platt, they, they are based in Miami and also have an office in New York, but they were predominantly from Miami anyway. So they, they had connections there and, and it was agreed that some of the, the promising young players from Reyes would, in the, in the, off season for Spain, they would travel to North America where the, the season's still ongoing and do a bit of extra training there and, and vice versa. So there was, you know, it had a proper football uh, project about it as well. And the idea was we'll build it sustainably. It won't be, we'll try and do everything overnight. It will be uh, a long term uh, ambition and, and, and we'll, we'll do it the right way. Um, so that's, he's traveled from America to Spain with a, 
a meeting scheduled to take place uh, with uh, Javier Tebas on that's supposed to take place on the 28th of January, but by February, um, Mr. Anolfo is still in Spain. Um, the deal to purchase the club has gone ahead, but he's not actually been able to do anything with it. And what was supposed to be a, an initial two-week trip um, ended up being, I think, I think he said he was there 12 weeks straight in the end, um, trying to get things sorted. But from that meeting on the 28th of January um, onwards, the the footballing operation ground to a halt. La Liga issued their notice to say that uh, the club had been initially suspended and then it was given a three-year ban from playing in the in the second tier okay. um effectively what that meant was that the the, the club even though the, the deal had gone through and the americans were um you know ready to, to spend their money um the, the club because it had been kicked out went into um a form of administration so none of the things could function until the outstanding debts had been paid and it had been um the keys to the office, shall we say, had been released from the local court um, in Tarragona. So you've got start of the year, January, you've got players without pay who are still turning out and, and to an extent putting in a shift on the pitch, not getting results, but that's by the by in the grand scheme of things to um, early February. Um, you've got new owners, but no team, and you've just been kicked out of the league. Um, it, it, it it escalated very quickly. Yeah. Um, the, the one of the the things that sort of caused that to happen was that, as I mentioned before, it was it was five point two or five point three million um, in terms of debt that was initially mm. explained when the the deal was to go ahead. Um, but when um, the deal had been signed. There was an, an extra set of accounts and, and other creditors that came forward and, and said, well, actually, you yeah. owe us this. I was just about um, to say that, Paul. Right. Um, in, in my research, it was uh, a little bit more than 5.3 million. Yeah, uh, yeah. that's the thing. It, um, it ended up being, I think, closer to nine. Nine million, yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, you, you know, it's, it's double what had been anticipated. And understandably so, the, the, um, the US owners had... had been concerned and, and said well you know we would at least need more time to um to to settle those debts and and this isn't what we've been sold and th- from what i'm about to say now i'm very wary that um that this could be taken as being my a version of the history but this isn't what i'm, I'm about to say is um the version of events that clifton and Alfo told me when i interviewed him and it's in the articles that, that I wrote at the time is uh, he believes that Javier Tebas knew about these other debts. And mm. uh, in his opinion, he just wanted to make an example uh, out of CF Reyes. And he didn't really care as long as the deal went through. Um, you know, it, it's, it's hard cheese, shall we say, for the. The US. Yes. We, we, we'll say here, Paul, we'll just say this is allegedly because uh, yeah, <laughs> when yeah. I was there doing this story, I, I will tell you this, that uh, my editors, uh, it was the only only club that my editors were kind of concerned with in legal terms um, yeah. uh, about stuff like this because 
Uh, well, I, I obviously read your articles and 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 I I would say you're an honest man and stuff like that. Unfortunately, as you said, this is. Yeah, this is it has to be taken with a you know yeah. Well, I believe you. It has to be taken with a pinch of salt. And <laughs> my editors were were so we won't say we won't say we were read it wasn't a stumbling block, but they were slightly concerned <laughs> about about uh, about what what a, you know interviewing yeah. yourself. Well, and um, we'll, yeah, we'll just say that the the, the views of um, Paul McGarrigy, Philip O'Rourke, <laughs> the Forgotten Clubs <laughs> family, uh, <pitch laughs> publishing, and anyone else associated with the book are not the views of. Um, the Anolfo brothers or the the Spanish FA, etc., etc. So, but I will tell you, Paul, it did add spice to the whole thing, and that that's another reason why they were kind of added. well. Yeah, I mean that that's what I was kind of alluding to at the beginning with the the kind of wider story is that this mm. is that this really unraveled into a bit more than a saga. Really, um, it's really it's, I mean it's don't get me wrong it's juicy stuff yeah, <laughs> and obviously yeah. it's against the backdrop of you know this this football club unfortunately folding, but like. This really unraveled. Like that, this a lot of stuff came out in the wash because of this, um, and there was a lot of accusations thrown about. And on that note, Paul, you can go ahead and say whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, I've I've made it clear. I, I'm I'm presenting the you know um, Mr. Anolfo's version of events that he yeah. and you know it's, I've quoted yeah. him, so he's yeah. definitely got more money than cars, I have. Yeah. Yeah, so he can afford a much better uh, solicitor than I can. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so this this is his version of events in terms of um, the situation with Tebas. Um, now, just to just to sort of add a bit more of a um, dimension to to the motivations of of Tebas. Again, this next bit is another point that. that um, Clifton and Alfo um, mentioned to me in in the interview that you know Tebas is um, he's a very uh, proud uh, patriot uh, for the the Spanish state apparently. And uh, over this is going. And yeah, and obviously uh, Reyes were a, 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 a Catalan club, uh-huh. um, <clears throat> and um, Laporta is somebody that. Um, Having been at Barcelona as the, 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 the president for a, a period of time, I believe that there was some friction uh, between the two of them. And Mr. Anolfo felt that when he stepped into the situation as owner of Reyes, it was, um, he believed that uh, La Liga had already decided that they were going to make an example out of this club. I see. Um, yeah, so I mean, that that's that's his his take on, on, on how the, the dynamic was and as to why there wasn't more flexibility given. Um, okay. So, so that, that leads us to, you know, the, how the, how the wheels turned now on top of the, the 9 million uh, debt that they found, uh, it was also noted that for the first week in February, there was uh, approximately 3 million worth of, uh, television rights that, that Reyes had been owed from the first half of the season and the the sort of the, the last quarter of the season prior that had not been paid by La Liga. Interesting. Uh, okay. yeah. Now, yeah. Mr. Ranolfo tells me that when he took over the club and he was presented with this additional debt, he said, well, if you, to, to La Liga, if you pay us that, uh, the outstanding television rights, and allow us to 
um, to use what he he described it, and he, it was an American term that, that he saw it as a. It, he wanted to use an escrow account to help um, see out the season for the the team. Um, so it would mean that, that that in a way that the club would take an advance to help cushion the blow of the outstanding debt, and then over the the course of the summer, whilst that was going on, at least the club was play it, you know, was be playing its games, and then the American owners would would come out with. Uh, financial uh, arrangement with the the uh, people that they owed debt to, but La Liga refused to provide the the outstanding uh, television money, according to Mr. Anolfo. Um, so that meant that the you know the, the size of the debt that needed to be settled in order for them to be able to return to to playing football was was just too difficult um, for them to overcome. And obviously, as owners, they felt that they'd been missold and, and and not given a fair hearing by La Liga. The club mm. goes into administration and, and when it goes into administration there's not really a lot that um the new owners can actually do. You know, the, the administrator comes in and, and he takes over and tries to um you know settle the debt and, and, and if if he can avoid liquidation then, then that's what he'll do. But this dragged on uh, and on um for a few months and, and eventually for a few years it was it was a a while later i think it was about 18 months later when when the club was actually liquidated because it, it just mm-hmm. couldn't fulfill the debts now um it's it's um it is a sad story and and one of the things that sort of that comes about with it i mentioned um a few other people before and i just want to go back to them so obviously to begin with with laporta so in the last interview that I did with with Clifton and Alfo, um, it was during the pandemic. I remember I, I was working from home at the time, and he was working from from his house, so it was all over Zoom. Um, I think we're talking twenty, maybe May or April twenty twenty. Okay. Um, so he had he had found more documentation um showing that payments had had gone from Reus to Laporta and to um Joan Oliver um and that not only had the payments gone to them the payments had also gone to um some people in China that were not direct employees of CF Reus um but it it, it looked like essentially that the club was was paying money or consultancy fees to the Beijing um, team, which is Beijing Institute of uh, Technology Football Club. Okay. Um, I knew it had some sort of um, techie name, but um, mm. yeah, so, so he, he uncovered these documents and, and um, there is uh, photographs of them uh, in, in the article. Um, he, he let me have uh, have uh, fair use of them shall we say so i have been able to to, to publish some of the the documentation that that he uncovered on there um this is which, incredible yeah so it does show the um the money going to laporta and, and it goes and, and going to china and and this was things that you know uh, he he tried to question with tebas and say you know Something's not right here, and, and obviously, when um, Joan Laporta's running again for presidency in 2021 uh, of Barcelona, um, 
Clifton and Alpha was very vocal on the ta- uh, at the time on social media saying, um, "Excuse me, you know you you've left uh, a big mess in in Reus uh, mm-hmm. that you need to uh, to come and settle." Again, now that that's what he says. The the words in the interview that are published on the over the bar website are his words. Yeah, you know I've not got Joanne Laporta's number. I can't get his side of things um yeah imagine but, you know if he hears this and he wants to uh tell us a different story i'm sure you'd make a great guest on on your podcast and i'd, I'd certainly love to to get his side of things to, to you know you now understand the rory why i picked this club <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean well in, in the event that joanne laporte is listening um we'd love to hear from you um we'd love for you to get in touch and, and so we could hear your views but um no i, I mean i mean that's the thing and i think Obviously, there's there's different levels to it because reading about it only gives you some sense of of what happened, and then hearing about it and hearing all of the insider stuff that happened at the very very end and the aftermath of it, it's oh, it's it's incredible, absolutely incredible. Like you're talking, you're talking various levels of corruption amongst one of the world's top sporting institutions, um, like political stuff, uh, genuinely yeah. incredible stuff, incredible stuff. Yeah, absolutely, and and you know I'm I'm, hundred percent. There is with this as well, um, which I don't think it would paint people in good light. I, I I'm I don't have anything to to, to offer that's not already out there. Um, if anybody listening is is thinking, oh, what's he got? I, I I can only go off you know the information that um, that I was given when I was doing the interview been able to publish some of the documents that uh, that, I, that I have got but um given that even you know a few years after he, he completed the takeover and after the club was um liquidated you know the fact that mr Anolfo was still <laughs> tells me that uh, there was probably more to it as well and another person that i mentioned earlier on uh was gerard pk so he goes off and buys uh, FC Andorra. You know, when Reyes were were kicked out of La Liga, and you know, if you think to the beginning of the, the episode, we, we started talking about the complexities of the Spanish football pyramid. Yeah. So rather than just promoting an extra team from you know the, the third tier, because of the way that the the, the groups are, are laid out, they they essentially marketed off. Reyes's spot in the second tier um, to the highest bidder. And there was two clubs bidding for it. Oh, wow. (laughs) So you know where this is going. Absolutely. (laughs) One of them was was Yeda, uh, but the the club that ended up getting it um, was... Hold on, uh, let let me me guess. I'm going to take a wild (laughs) swipe and say that it was uh, FC Andorra. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) I mean, like, you know, I don't, I don't want to get all I don't want to get all tinfoil hat and stuff, but I mean it's quite it's, I don't want to say blatant, obviously. I'm I'm not the expert on it. That's that's titles reserved for yourself, but I mean wow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I really say it. If if somebody was to, to put this as a script and present it as being like a Netflix drama, everyone would be like, it's just it's 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 too it's too interconnected, it's too corrupt to believe you know Yeah, I mean it's that that's the thing. It makes for a class story, and you know, obviously, in terms of the dramatic side of the things, I'm loving every bit of it. Sadly for CF Reyes, you know, they they were on the um the the worst possible end of that, and and the fact yeah. that they, they, they kind of get mixed up in it. But 
yeah, again, it's it's the wider story, and and that's what makes it more than interesting, to be honest. But yeah, um, yeah. It's, it's a really really incredible story. Um, and just before we we kind of finish up, Phil, I wondered if you wanted to take some time to ask Paul any questions, um, and then obviously you know the, the the listeners can hear them as well. Just maybe anything extra that that wasn't maybe mentioned in the book that you've been you've been dying to ask him at all. Yeah, I mean, look, I've already mentioned that the reason why I uh, added it was because of their story. You know, unfortunately, in the book, I had to be careful uh, what I said uh, about it. So I couldn't add it all in, and there's only so much uh, I could have. But, uh, Paul, in relation to this, would would you ever be... Obviously, you have a, a vested interest in it now. Um, would you... You know, be would you would you write a book about CF race at this stage? Um, so about this, to be fair, um, yeah. And if I if I was going to, I would say that I would definitely um put the the submission to to pitch publishing because I'm a, a big fan of their work. Um, yeah. you know, there's a great book I picked up uh, by them, Forgotten Football Clubs, uh, fifty teams from across the world. <laughs> off it. I think I'd recommend you read it. To be honest with you, um, so um, yeah, I uh. Yeah, I think I would like to. I think at the moment, it, it 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 would be difficult to do at the moment in terms of mm. things are still very very raw, and I I'm of the opinion that some of the protagonists um, are still a bit reluctant to maybe. I think it's something that they want to sweep under the carpet and. Yeah. Mm. Um, I, I do have, you know, Mr. Anolfo, he's definitely got a lot of documents that, uh, you know, um, that could tell a wider story. And, and, and I think it would make a fantastic book. The, the, um, phrase, the phrase that really stood out to me, and, and I suppose the headline, I think it was the headline of your actual article, was the club that uh, the Spanish FA killed or La Liga killed. Um, that, yeah. that, 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 that really stuck out to me when, when I saw that. Uh, I think it stuck out to my publishers as well, um, yeah. but uh, it, it it is something that if you know if that was on a book, I think a lot of people would be interested in the story. Um, the other thing is uh, the other question I'm going to ask is, and it, I suppose we all know about FC Barcelona and their financial troubles at the moment. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think the whole world yeah. is aware of that. Do you think? I, I don't think the same fate is going to happen to them. I think they are. You know, as as you mentioned before, are one you know, if not one of the biggest clubs in the world. Do you think that has made it even more, uh, kind of made the CF Roos or Reyes uh, fans even more bitter? The fact that you know their neighbours, I suppose, are are you know in financial dire straits at the moment, but are getting away with it, whereas they were kind of left uh, made an example of, as, as you said. Yeah, um, so I still have Reyes fans that that follow me on um, yeah. social media, which you know it's very kind of them. And I, at the time, they they were they were very keen to to reach out and, and in some cases come to me for, for news. And I was like, well, you know, it's it's not it's not as easy as me just you know. Anyway, yeah, um, yeah, I think it, it. So again, what I'll, what I'll say about this. Um, yeah, it definitely makes the situations much more painful for them. Um, now, just to sort of, I suppose, link it to what 
the, the last question was really, if you think about this story, it could happen to any football club. Um, in, in some ways, there are some parallels with what happened to Reus with what happened to, to Berry Football Club in England. Mm. Um, you know, two um, well successive owners where things didn't go well and, and ultimately a club being kicked out of the league where you know the, the fans are the ones that, that really suffer. Um, so with, with Barcelona, that, again, I, I haven't had, nobody's had the same um, level of, of insight with, with Barcelona as, you know, perhaps I, I, I was able to get when it came to, to, to Reus in terms of, you know, I, I had, uh, you know, several conversations with, with the, the owner of the club and, um, but that nobody, you know, when it comes to Barcelona, we're all outsiders looking in. Now, yeah, yeah that's true. Reading into Obviously, a lot of these problems are ones that have been that have come about over the last decade, really, for the club. That it, it, it's just it's not that we can all you know we can say that it's um, one instance of mismanagement. There's there's a lot of factors that have come to put Barcelona in the situation that they're currently in. Um, and for me, the way that Barcelona have been able to manage it which, again, is a sore point for, for Reus fans, the way that Barcelona essentially have been given special dispensation is purely down to the sides of the club. And I mean that in, 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 in two ways. One, because they have such a large revenue stream that even with being in mountains of debt, they, they've still had in a, a larger cushion that they've been able to sustain such a um, a hit to their bank balance but continue to function. So that's one. A club like Reus, even if you if you put the proportion of you know Barcelona's bank uh, bank balance is, is X and you know their their debt is Y, if you were to, to scale that down to Reus, Reus would not be able to to have the same um, financial money through the door even though uh, well how do I say it now? So money coming in through the door that isn't theirs, but it's enough for them to, to carry on being able to, to function as a hollow shell. And obviously sure. Barcelona's palenkas, as um, the, the, the buzzword was, in, in terms of being able to sell off image rights, other clubs haven't got that luxury. So that's, mm. that's point one. And point two, because of the size, of, again, because of the size of club and brand that Barcelona are, La Liga couldn't afford to have them fold, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, you know what it would do to to the league, and I, I I'm somebody who absolutely loves La Liga. I do, you know, I think it's this season's not a great advert for it, but in the main, it has been one of the more technical uh, leagues. It's been one of the more entertaining ones. I know a lot of people think it's a two team league. I completely get that, but I also think that there's there's so many side stories and subplots and, and various other things going on that it, it, it is a league that that doesn't necessarily get the respect it deserves but even with my biased view um, <laughs> about it being such a good league to watch and enjoy I think you know losing FC Barcelona would make it uh, an incredibly difficult product to sell so I think you know that that is another reason why La Liga have given Barcelona special dispensation shall we say 
I mean, mm. yeah, without without going into this too much for obvious reasons, because it, it, it brings up a lot of, firstly, a lot of old wounds, but it brings up a lot of, a lot of debates that I, I really can't be bothered going over again, to be completely <laughs> honest. It is, yeah. it is toxic, right? But from what you're saying, it seems quite similar to what happened to Rangers in the SPFL, or the SPL was at that time, where mm. if you look at it four years earlier, Gretna, for instance, um, yeah. obviously liquidated after their finances were, were completely pulled and they had to reform in the lowest possible tier and they're, they're now competing in, in the fifth tier, which is the Lowland League as Grena FC 08, right? So obviously yeah. they've had to, uh, to get back there, whereas Rangers obviously, you know, also liquidated, but they, at the time, you know, people said they got a pass and, and they were reinstated back in, in the fourth tier in, in Scottish League 2. But I also do agree with you and what you're saying and that for one of the biggest clubs in a professional football league or a footballing country to go bust and liquidate, it would be disastrous. And I, and I don't think yeah. that can really be understated as, as much as I have certain biases and certain views on it. I think I think that's just a, a point of fact, to be completely honest, and that leagues will do much more to try and bail out what? Um, larger clubs that, that that are facing financial troubles than they they will smaller clubs, um, and it seems quite similar with with Reus and Barcelona. And yeah. It's the same way. It's the same in even League of Ireland. I'll give the example: Shamrock Rovers, uh, one of Ireland's biggest clubs, uh, a few years ago, were in huge, huge financial trouble, and uh, the FEI stepped in and helped them out. And then you think of the forty-two other clubs that have gone, uh, you know, defunct in League of Ireland, like. Spartan Fingal, for example, who were in the book as well, and they didn't get any financial help from, uh, from um, you know, the FEI, and simply just because Shamrock Rovers are, are the most successful team, so you can't have them going basically because they are they are the product that sells the league, uh, and and yeah, so yeah, I, I would imagine that it, it, that there is clubs in every every league in the world that you know that are. I don't want to say untouchable. I don't want to say that they're, they they can't go bust, but they'll always get that. They'll always get that help in hand. And I think, yeah, you're dead right, Paul. I think Barcelona, without them in La Liga, you know, you know, you're losing an awful lot. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And and you know, it's funny. There are so many parallels. And I started off by saying with with Reyes, you know, that it could happen to any club. You know, with Gretna, obviously the Rangers situation, and isn't it? Interesting that you know in Scotland you had Gretna, one of the smaller clubs, fold. Who were given, you know, they they went on a different journey, but it can happen to to small clubs. It can happen to large clubs. Um, yeah, it's a yeah. very very good point. It's um, yeah, and I mean the, the the Gretna situation as well. Again, not to go too much into it, but. Um, it was one of the things where at the time people were calling it a fairy tale because he'd been given this big cash injection. Um, mm. They absolutely romped through the lower tiers and then managed to get themselves to a Scottish Cup final. And then within two years, they were gone. Um, yeah. Not a fairy tale under any circumstances. And what happened to the, the former owner, um, Brooks Mileson, obviously absolutely tragic. For those who don't don't know, he, he, he unfortunately died um, quite quite suddenly through illness. Um, he had a, a, a battle with cancer. Um, and it was absolutely tragic. But even though it was no fault of his own and even though it wasn't instigated by him, it was the fact that the money, the money rug, if you want to call it that, was pulled from underneath them, which yeah. just led to all the problems beginning. But you're absolutely right, and it can happen to to, to clubs of, of completely different sizes, and um, it's, it's it's absolutely horrible when it does. But I, th- I think I think it's safe to say that the, the bigger clubs will always get some form of a buy or some form of preferential preferential treatment because of that. 
Yeah. Um, and just um, just before we kind of finish up, because I know we've we've kind of went on for a, a bit longer than normal, but that's fine. That was our plan for this evening, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, just obviously that, this has been. <laughs> No, no, I mean, no, yeah, I mean, I just wanted to say, first of all, Paul, this has been fantastic. I mean, this has been absolutely brilliant in terms of um, the story of CF race and and everything that's happened around them. Like, genuinely, been absolutely fantastic hearing everything about them, and and you've really done the story justice. But um, before we go, I wanted to ask a couple of questions about the actual team, if that's okay. Um, Yeah. I suppose starting off, were there any players that played for CF race that have went on? to do anything from that period that not do anything that's quite disparaging but um that have went on to a higher stage if you like um from uh, what happened and, and that have really uh, kind of pushed on in their careers oh uh, it's a difficult question because in some ways some of them radar um one of the the players uh, i think it was david kirol um he was um sort of the main man really up front he did end up playing um, for about a year or so after uh, Reyes's, uh demise at um, I think it was a club in in North America um, wait, he was in the MLS I think uh, before he retired we had um, the goalkeeper um, Paul Frazier I can't pronounce his name perfectly I think it's <laughs> Frazier <laughs> Yeah, um, he went to he went to Fuenlabrada. Uh, I think he's still playing, actually, uh, or is still active. I don't know if he maybe gets any minutes, but I think he's only about 30, 31. Um, okay. So the, 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 there are still members of that team. Others, um, you had a central midfielder. I think his name was Ortiz Ruiz or... Mario Ortiz Ruiz, uh, to be precise, I think he was. Uh, he he went to Pontevedra, which um, are, are a large club in Spain, but they're yeah. currently, I think, third or fourth, fourth tier, I think, at the moment. They've, they've fallen in hard times mm-hmm. themselves, really. Yeah, um, but they, they were you know members of that team that did go uh, onto other stuff. You had, you had uh, other players that basically... Reyes was probably the pinnacle of their career. Um, in fact, David Quirrell, actually, just to go back, I, I looked him up again. It turns out he did go to uh, to Cadiz, um, who are obviously now in the oh. the, the, the Premier Division. Um, yeah, big but, big fan of Cadiz. There's another yeah. publishing book that talks about them a lot. I'm I'm, I'm quite a big fan of them. Yeah, cool. so he was there from pretty much the season after Reyes folded, and then he went to Albacete and then back to Cadiz. Uh, but he has retired now uh, by the looks of things. So I can't remember who the other player was. It might have been uh, Ricardo Vaz, I think, was the one who went to um, to North America. Um, but yeah, so it, I mean, you know, there was a there was a reason why they did not had a great time on the pitch. You know, um, that's not a criticism of the players, but I would say that, you know, that that the, the team wasn't the strongest. And, and, and yeah, so some of those players were, were probably at the level that um that was that was their ceiling shall we say mm-hmm. yeah i mean just finally i suppose <clears throat> excuse me um yeah i mean yeah the, to be fair some of those players sound like they've, they've kind of went on and, and done all right and 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 managed to kind of kick on from that because for a lot of people and a lot of players that can be something that, that 
almost ends our careers almost um if you're not a club that's liquidated it can be really difficult trying to find another club um if there's there's no willing takers there straight away um what would you say across our history well you know obviously not going all the, all the way back to, to 1903 maybe but um <laughs> within recent memory anyway what would you say was was cf reyes's sort of high point i suppose what was the peak um, oh, it's, it's yeah, the, the the golden moment, I guess. Um, yeah, it probably would be the uh, Copa del Rey tie against um, Atletico Madrid. Uh, so mm. it's two thousand and fifteen, I think it was. So they they lost one nil at the uh, Calderon in Madrid, and then yeah, it was a, a, a two legged affair. So Madrid then went to uh, Atletico. Sorry, they travelled to Reus for the second leg. I think that was two one to Atletico so at least they got to to score um, you know <laughs> against a, a top flight team um, and to, to make it that far in the in the Copa del Rey is uh, is, a, is a, a great achievement for a you know for a, a club uh, of races size at the time um, even even now it's it's very rare that you, you get teams that that are from the Segunda Division um, reaching you know the the, um, the latter stages of the of the Copper so Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd say that was that was probably the the, the highest moment, um, you know. Mm-hmm. And that was four years later. They well, three three and a half four years later. They weren't they weren't in existence. So yeah. <laughs> um, do you live in Spain yourself, Paul? No, I don't. No, I'm in the, I'm in the north of England myself. Ah, okay, that's okay. It's a better part of England, in my humble opinion. Um, I was just going to ask, final. Uh, this this is the final final question. <laughs> um, did you actually manage to to see a, a CF race game? I didn't. No, um, I had intended to. So when I um, started having conversations with uh, Mr. Anolfo, um, you know, the, the idea was when things get corrected, um, you know, well, we would go out there and we would do another interview on how. Uh, the good times were on the way back, shall we say? But uh, uh, but no, the, the interview that never was. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a shame. It would have been good to see them. And and as a as I was saying to you just before we started the podcast, um, the the the, the CF race kits are absolutely stunning. So for our listeners, I would a hundred percent recommend just giving them a look. And I bet a lot of them are, are probably collectors items now. Actually, well, maybe the um. Some yeah, of the kids from the, the the latter seasons, um, beautiful, and it's it's a shame. It's a real shame what happened to them. Uh, the the drama and the the juicy stuff aside, which is uh, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. It is it's a fascinating story. Um, you know, I, I hope I've done the, the the club some justice there in terms of um presenting it again. You know, a lot of the things I've. I want to just caveat one last time, you know, um, that any of the stuff said about Javier Tabas or Juan Laporta, that is me presenting it based on, or presenting uh, Clifton Anolfo's uh, account that he gave me in the interviews. I, I would like to discount any sort of offence that I made. Wait, <laughs> well, Paul, look, if, you, if, you, if you go missing, right, uh, <laughs> we all know why. Uh, but, uh, yeah, no, uh, brilliant, Paul, brilliant. Uh, yeah, that, uh, that was you definitely did uh, the CF uh, Reyes Joseph. Yeah, th- th- it's you. been it's been absolutely fantastic, um, and the story's brilliant. And as you said earlier on, 
it seems quite likely that some more will come out in the wash about them at some point, whether it's, um, you know, down the line, if there's documents released, if there's documents found, if it's just stuff that pops back up in interviews. So it's obviously it's, it's obviously the case, even though that, that CF Reyes are, are gone in the sense of a playing football team, their stories living on and their names kind of living through through these things that keep unravelling about them, which is, is an interesting dynamic in... I mean, do you think that the, the could ever maybe come back down the line? Have they already came back in an amateur sense? Uh, there's been efforts made for a Phoenix club, and for a while, um, Mr. Anolfo was helping out with that. Or, uh, he, he told me he'd been okay. yeah. trying to assist um, prior to to Reyes's final liquidation. Um, you know, he'd been working with the local community, did, but. Uh, I don't know to what extent he was involved in in terms of getting them. Now I know that they separated um, the the youth um, set up from from the um, the legal entity of CF Reyes um, in you know in order to protect it um, from from the being part of the liquidated uh, assets, shall we say? Um, yeah. And I think now there is a club. That goes by the name of Reyes, and I think it's like the Roy Negri. Um, I, I I don't know. It, it's in so it's in its name. It's not you know, that part of the world. It, it's in the local language rather than, um, sure. you know, more general Spanish. I would say, uh, and I probably offended half of Catalonia there by, uh, by saying <laughs> by saying <laughs> Spanish. <laughs> but, um, you could have said you offended the... everybody, so we're all right. It's in the, lo- the, the the name of the club is uh, is in the local uh, dialect, um, mm-hmm. so uh, it is more of a, an amateur setting. But I know that they, they are working hard to try and get some sort of, you know, because ultimately, and and like we touched on before, you know, football clubs are part of the community, and and whenever one goes out of business, totally. doesn't matter what part of the world it's in, it is it's always sad, and it means that there's. It doesn't have its three o'clock kickoff on a Saturday, or doesn't have you know the, the, the at the time race were averaging crowds of two thousand, two and a half thousand. So it wasn't a full capacity, but it was still yeah, it's still a lot of people that suddenly have a lot more spare time on them, you know. Yeah. Um, so it yeah, is. It's, it. <clears throat> excuse yeah. me, I'm sure they'll, they'll they'll be trying to to get something going, but it's it's a long long road. Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully they can um, they, they come back in some iteration in the future. But um, before before we annoy the Spanish state or Catalonia or any other geopolitical <laughs> entities um, anymore, uh, I think it's about time we we wrap things up. We've been going for about an hour and a half now, so it will be our longest uh, longest episode. But um, deserved every minute of it because uh, that was absolutely fantastic. Um, been an absolute pleasure talking to you, Paul, and and your expertise on on this subject is is obviously. Um, is obviously something that we wanted to pull on and, and get you into chat about. So, so thank you very much for coming on. It's been great. No, thank thank you so much for for inviting me. I've really enjoyed it. It's, it has been fun. I, I do apologise for how long I've made the episode for. No, you, no, no, no. That that was that's that's what we wanted. Um, <laughs> exactly what we wanted. So we we anticipated. That's why we said we do it a one club show. <laughs> yeah, we want these to be the the this, the, the feature length episodes. We'll say um, so that they capture everything we're looking to talk to. But oh. um, what's your plans now? Any. Any more football to watch? Well, I mean, it's, it's quite late on in the day. I know there's some, some Argentine games on I might watch. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyone going to any games this weekend? 
I've been at a game today. I've been at Manchester City Liverpool. Um, that's oh, very nice. Four-one win, yeah. Um, it so was, was, yeah. It was an, an absolute drubbing in the end. Yeah, yeah. So I've been at that, but then now taking it easy for the rest of the weekend. Now I think just uh, watch a few games from the sofa. Good. Bobby yourself, Phil. Um. Well, I'm a Liverpool fan, so <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't the greatest day. Um, nah, I, I, I'll probably spend most of my time listening off to this again and uh, editing it and uh, getting it out there for, for the general public and hopefully it catches the imagination. I have absolutely no doubt it will. It's been um, it's been a fantastic episode and it's been a pleasure speaking to both of you. Um, so once again, thanks very much for coming on, Paul. Uh, hopefully we speak to you again soon. Thanks, guys. Lovely. Phil, if you want to say goodbye to our listeners. Goodbye, everyone. And we'll see you all next week. Goodbye.